With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Players make massive jumps between the first and second years. Hayden Winks, we've seen it for the past five, ten years. Everyone focuses in on the rookies, the new, the fresh. But no, we're here to give some time, some spotlights to the ones and dive deep. The year two players, the second year possible breakouts. It's one of my favorite shows of the year, Hayden. I'm sure it is yours as well. First is like how, like who are these players? Like how do they win? How could they scale? Is their role scalable? And then we can get into like the fantasy football conversation. But the first part is like, where do they play? When are they in? When are they out? All that type of stuff. I think it's like the first key part of this. Yeah. And what they did last year, how that might be different this year. And it's so funny because now that we have ADPs over on underdog already, these players are being drafted in comparison to not only veterans, but rookies as well. And so we're going to have that conversation of where all these players are going in drafts. That's not to say we're going to touch on every second-year player. I have a quick list to start this off so you all don't get offended that we didn't talk about your favorite second-year player. We're not going to talk about Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. I think that's pretty self-evident. Maybe Devontae Smith, I'm sure we're going to hit on in the wide receiver ranking show, which will come out in the next two weeks. Uh, But the other two, they're fantastic. Okay, We're also not going to talk about Najee Harris and Javante Williams. We know both of those players are awesome as well. We can't talk about Travis Etienne because we haven't seen him on the field at all. And I'm sure, I am sure his name is going to pop up in the running back ranking show and also during preseason and training camp episodes that we do. Uh, As Hayden put it, Michael Carter got cucked by his own organization, so we can't talk about him either. And then it tied in Cal Pitts and Pat Fryermuth. There probably aren't even 12 tight ends that we want to speak about. And so we definitely want to talk about both of those two in the tight ends ranking episode that we did. So we're going a little bit deeper, maybe outside the top. 50 ADP overall, but so often these are players that not misunderstood, but maybe misprojected. And we want to shine some light on those as well. Does that list work for you? It's the players where you're like, they're getting kind of priced up right now, but are they actually good? We're going to try to answer that question today. Okay, here we go. We're going to have clips for you, actual plays of these players playing on the field, and a whole bunch of the stats and analytics and whatever the hell Hayden has cooked up in his lab, in his basement, down below. And we're going to start off with the first-round wide receiver last year who missed the opening five games of his rookie year. His name is Rashad Bateman, currently going as the wide receiver 28 in drafts with the Baltimore Ravens. That's just after Juju Smith-Schuster, but before big names like Brandon Cooks and another third-year player 
and Darnell Moody. Hayden, easiest way to put this, the runway is clear for Rashad Bateman to have a massive second season in the league, not just because of the departure and the trade for Marquise Brown, but because of the talent, the individual talent that Rashad Bateman is. Again, he missed the opening five games of last year, basically all of training camp, finished with 46 receptions, 515 yards, and one touchdown. The number one thing that stood out to me, and again, is why a possible gigantic season is ahead for Bateman, is I don't think that his talent or his on-field display was inconsistent. What was inconsistent was the opportunities and the targets that he was receiving. And there's no better performance or game to outline this than week 15 against the Cincinnati Bengals when Josh Johnson was at quarterback. And I'm sure this frustrated the hell out of Ravens fans. In that opening drive, about 10 or 11 plays, he saw four targets, including his lone touchdown of the season. The rest of the game, despite playing 80-something percent of snaps, just one target. They threw the ball 40 times that game, and outside the first drive, he only got one target, and that has to change and will change going into the second season. I watched week 10, week 14, week 17, and Sammy Watkins was starting those first two games. Same thing with that week 15 game that you outlined. Sammy Watkins couldn't play, period. Like, he could not run. So it was super frustrating to watch that. But when Sammy or when Rashad Bateman got on the field, it is very clear what his strengths are. He is a true X receiver, which makes him have a huge fantasy ceiling. He can play on the inside as a big slot if they wanted to. This is going to be a a team that plays with two wide receiver sets a ton because they have fullbacks. They have a bunch of tight ends. They just drafted Charlie Kohler, Isaiah Likely uh, as rookies. They obviously have Mark Andrews. Nick Boyle is going to play more this year. They still have Patrick Ricard. So he's in the perfect fantasy uh, spot with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson just led uh, the NFL in touchdown passes. There's a massive ceiling. The biggest strength that Rashad Bateman has to me, there's two of them. One is he's super long. There was a lot of plays, and that's where he's going to run a lot of out routes to use his length. He's going to win on slants. He's going to win over the middle, and he can win on some contested uh, contested catches like on that last one because he's so long. But the other part, I think that's the part that you wanted to talk about the most. I'll leave it to you. He's such a headsy player. Like he got a great feel for space. And that's why I think that the Ravens really like them. This is a team that faces a lot of zone coverage because Lamar Jackson's the quarterback and you can't play man defense. So it's really just the perfect fit for him. And I think that he's flashed enough last year. Boom, long catch over the middle right there. He's really set up for if he is as good as we think that he can really take off this year. You outlined the differences in the Ravens really well, and namely who he was playing alongside last year and who he will probably be playing alongside this year. The number one difference to me with the Ravens is hopefully we get Lamar Jackson for 17 games, but also the offensive line changes. You know, like they were the most injury riddled team, both offensively and defensively last year. And it didn't matter what quarterback was in there. You didn't have one of the best left tackles in the league in Ronnie Stanley. You were a turnstile at times at right tackle and other spots along the interior, just being able to trust, to trust the front five in front of you and sticking to that pocket, which Lamar is surgical at. And he's so good at staying patient, especially over the middle of the field is going to help them. And especially on those plays that you're talking about where it's against zone coverage and his feel for zones and soft areas is exceptional. Mark Andrews also exceptional. Like, There are multiple times when you think back to last season and it's inside the five or inside the 10 and Lamar somehow still had all day, all day, probably because they were dropping so many because they wanted to spy him and didn't want him to move. 
and it was double clutching multiple clutches and still Mark Andrews was able to create little slivers of separation in tight areas of the field. And Rashad Bateman can do that as well. We've outlined this a lot. Again, let me emphasize Lamar Jackson might be the best vertical pat, excuse me, the best passer in the middle of the field in the league. Like he is surgical in that area. I'm not saying he can't throw outside the numbers. It's just not the same amount either because of Greg Roman or him or the pass catching options that they've had where that's of huge emphasis. So, some people, and I've already heard this, Hayden, might say, well, if Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews went in the exact same areas, because I think, what, 13 of his first 14 catches in the league, Rashad Bateman's went for first downs, which is an insane figure. Isn't that just, you know, only one is going to succeed? And I would say no, because what the Ravens do so well is they obviously have a read side to start, and they stack those players. Double so slants. it's probably going to be... Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews, at times last year was Marquise Brown and Rashad Bateman. And a feel against zone, as soon as the defender, the read defender reacts in one direction, boom, he's hitting it to the other. Or you have a bunch of high-low concepts of Mark Andrews shallower, Rashad Bateman more vertical, and it can flip too. And over that middle field, again, where Lamar is so great, to me, the tandem of the two could be really, really special this season in an offense that probably can only have two pass-catching weapons really shine. Yeah, the secondary options in terms of target is Devin Duvernay, who I think is a kind of an interesting slot player. He's going to be the guy that's going to be used on reverses and that type of thing. Uh, he's got plenty of speed and yards after the catchability, but he's not going to be like the traditional uh, catch 90 passes. Uh, that could be Rashad Bateman in this offense. If I want to bring up a potential weakness with Rashad Bateman, yep. he didn't like wow me with like pure athleticism downfield or like he's not going to break uh, too many tackles because of wiggle, but he is super competitive and he is going to be able to fight through yards and do some of it. He's just not going to be like uh Mr. 80 yard touchdown. That's like my biggest concern with this Ravens offense this year is that's what Marquise Brown has. Who exactly is that maybe they bring in Will Fuller and he's fine. Uh, but that is the one thing I'm a little bit concerned about is all of a sudden this offense is going to get real, even more congested over the middle. But I think that when it just comes to like, Lining up 1v1, could Rashad Bateman win? Yes, and the answer is because he can win outward and inward, and he's super lengthy. Um, and I think uh, you're going to get a couple go balls like that one where he can go up and catch it too. And he's tough, man. And I, I think Nate Tice just posted something on The Athletic about the Ravens. I've seen some other people just put out some tweets recently about the Ravens passing attack, Ted Nguyen. The passing triangles that they create are super narrow and a really congested. Frustrating. It, it, it can be really frustrating. And your point about maybe no vertical element to taking the top off and stretching everything out just a bit, Marquise Brown, that is a question that they do have to answer. But man, I mean, Rashad Bateman just like didn't play last year. I mentioned like the first five games that he missed are those are pretty obvious, but he didn't play 70 snaps until week 11. He didn't play 80% of the snaps until week 15. I truly feel... 85 catches and nine touchdowns is like in the realm of possibility yep. this season for, for Rashad Bateman. And again, wide receiver 28, a player that can win inside, wins outside, has the toughness that can absolutely thrive in this team. Um, these are the two really pillar pieces. And as Matt Harmon has outlined, I'm sure a lot of people will go check out his reception perception on these second year wide receivers. He is such a different archetype than Rashad Bateman, than, than Marquise Brown. Such oh, a yeah. different archetype. Tough physical can win inside and out. And if we talk about vertical ability, Hayden, I've outlined this Hollywood had 30 targets of 20 plus yards on the field last year. Only caught five Rashad Bateman had eight and caught four of them. 
Mark Andrews was a better vertical player last year than, than Marquise Brown, but it's just that pure speed that they are missing for sure. And two quick caveats with Rashad Bateman's numbers from last year. When he was getting playing time, it was the with the backup quarterbacks. I thought Tyler Huntley was pretty uh, pretty good for a backup quarterback, but he could not throw downfield or near the sideline at all. And the second part is the reason why he wasn't playing the first part of the season is because he was coming back from hernia and hernia injury. So maybe some of this lack of explosiveness that I'm talking about, my my biggest concern with Rashad Bateman could actually just get better. Maybe he's just healthier this year as well. So I think stock way up. I think that within his range of outcomes, he could be a top 15 fantasy receiver he's going wide receiver 28 i'm gonna be buying at that price point yeah and, and i understand that targets are earned and we we're gonna say that about a lot of players but he averaged just around four receptions and 43 yards in the games he did play last year but then there were four games out of those 12 that he did reach eight plus targets it was just the inconsistencies of like health being in the pecking order and health probably of of the passing attack because again that game against the Bengals, he was dominating dominating a Super Bowl caliber defense and they just didn't even look his way for the rest of the game. Yep. Shocking. Okay. There's Rashad Bateman. Love him. Love that ADP. Next up, another wide receiver, Hayden. Apple of many eyes. Elijah Moore with the New York Jets laid out for us. He's currently going 68th overall. He's a wide receiver 32 last year. He was equivalent to about the 65th overall player in best ball points. Um, First off, Elijah Moore at the line of scrimmage is completely nasty. And the other big thing was he was winning in the slot in the backfield in college last year. He wasn't just playing on the outside. He was playing like legit X receiver routes. And that was like the big thing that surprised me was that he was able to win on the outside. And the reason why he was able to do that is he's so damn shifty. Like, yes, there are some reps where, uh, yeah, he's a little bit undersized and that's going to come down to haunt him, but it's hard to get his hands or get your hands on him. And he can win down the field just as well as he can win after the catch underneath. He really has a, basically a complete profile in my eyes. I thought he was extremely good. Uh, last year, he was 36 out of 94 receivers against man coverage in yards per out run. And then in zone coverage, also top 50. There are some splits I want to go after. Uh, we talked about his film, but just like eye test, absolute yes. Uh, the next step is going to be scheme fit. Uh, yep. There's more target competition and all that stuff. But is Elijah more good? Hell yes, on the inside and the outside. He answered so many questions coming out of Ole Miss during his rookie season with the Jets. And I'm sure so many teams throughout the league asked themselves, was well, this just a slot guy? He's explosive. He's really good. But is he just a slot guy? Because even at Ole Miss, Hayden, he played 491, 676, and almost 99% of his snaps in 2018 in the slot. And he was great. But then immediately as a rookie, he shows that, like you're saying, if you line him up the X spot where you move everyone around and he's isolated on the outside, just his movement and agility, it's tough to match up with. It's tough to keep your hands on. And at the top of routes, 15, 12, 17 yards on the field, he's still winning. Um, now, is it telling to you, and not to force a point into your mouth here, is it telling to you that the Jets – decision-making brass this entire offseason, chased every top wide receiver, then decided to take one in the top 15 of this year's draft? Or is that just a team with a rookie salary quarterback saying, hey, we can be still more explosive and we're not just going to put the entire plate of the receiving group on Elijah Moore's shoulders? I think it's more that Zach Wilson was struggling so much and less about Elijah Moore. I think that Elijah Moore is either going to be the best number two receiver in the league or could be a legit 
number one receiver coming out of school. He was absolutely popping in the model. Same thing with Garrett Wilson. And this is where it gets super uh, tricky this year. Even like just last year with Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore, 6.6 half PPR points per game. 6.6 with Zach Wilson. Without Zach Wilson, that jumped to 17.9. Why? Do you have any reason why? Because Zach Wilson was terrible. His footwork was fair. terrible. His accuracy was, he, was <laughs> he couldn't read the field. It was yep. one of the worst quarterbacking performances over the, the games I watched with him. But there, there's even another split here that we have to talk about is with Corey Davis, Elijah Moore averaged 8.4 half PPR points per game on 6.6 targets. Without Corey Davis, that jumped up to 14.7 half PPR points per game and up to 8.5 targets. Now we're adding Garrett Wilson into the mix. We have to get Zach Wilson to play better. They also have two tight ends on the field. They yeah. added Brees Hall. If Elijah Moore or if, if Zach Wilson's no good, it's going to be basically impossible for Elijah Moore to pay off this price point because there's a lot of target competition and this is an offense that's going to be slow and all that stuff. So everything around Elijah Moore is bad. But he is good. So that's where I'm very conflicted on what to do with him. I think in Dynasty, roll the dice in best ball where we're already paying that price point at wide receiver 32. It's a little risky just because the Jet, the, the, I mean, we're talking about the Jets here, and there's more target competition than, than he's ever had um, by a mile. Yeah. So a few of the wide receivers going ahead of him Darnell Mooney, Michael Thomas, just after him, Drake London, a name we're going to talk about in just a moment here, and Amon Ross St. Brown. So it's not like you're paying a complete massive price and what that's around the fifth round territory. He's going somewhere in the sixth round as well. You outlined it. The player is incredible. The player is so much fun. Versatile. It's, the, it's I mean, after the catch, the ball in his hands, versatile, exactly what you said from multiple alignments, just ask him to win. But we have questions about the opportunity around him. No doubt in my mind though, that I'm passing plays, his routes one-on-one, -on -one, he can earn targets. But you have quarterback questions because as much as I think Zach Wilson can, I mean, I'm certainly not writing him off. Certainly not going to do that. But if you just went by his rookie season, it would be easy to do that. It was abysmal at times and he simply couldn't read it. Now, when we saw him a couple times toward the end of the year, did things get, look a little bit better? Yes. But the combination of everything does make me a little bit nervous but I can't get over the individual talent. He's so good. Yeah, that's what makes him super conflicting. I think we do need to talk about how maybe his role is going to change a little bit. Like we mentioned, he played way more outside. outside. Yeah, Garrett Wilson. This yep. year, Garrett Wilson is going to play uh, Z. Corey Davis, your classic X receiver. And then Elijah Moore is going to be the slot receiver. We have to make sure that Elijah Moore is playing in two wide receiver sets. I'm guessing he will, but that is certainly a competition out there. And that's super important because this is a team that uses a fullback and a second tight end. So that's something to keep in mind with Elijah Moore. And then they also have Braxton Berrios who they had like paid like $6 million a year. Like Braxton Berrios and Elijah Moore are like not even on the same planet when it comes to, to talent, but that's just like another name uh, that we have to keep monitoring. So the, the biggest thing with Elijah Moore is in training camp. Is he in two wide receiver sets? Is he starting there? I'm guessing he will. Um, and that leaves him with, with some upside certainly, but it will require Zach Wilson to do a little bit more. Those splits are terrifying. And I think that it was like Zach Wilson's like, footwork ability to read the field and accuracy it was like all that stuff could be tied together and just like one offseason makes all that better but this was like darnold like like i hate yeah. to say it but like a lot of the similar stuff where like darnold looks good in like some plays but the like consistency is like footwork tied to the head and everything just gets out of control and that's exactly what zach wilson was the entire year yeah 
uncomfortable. And as you put it, it makes total sense why pocket passers who were comfortable reading the defense and trusting their offensive line that Elijah Moore would have the most success with those because he was obviously winning his individual matchups. Uh, the name that's totally forgotten in this group is obviously Corey Davis. He's just still 27 years old, which is pretty crazy. And he's on this roster. Like, unless he gets traded for something, um, there is no reason for them to cut him. They and, need him. He's big. And they need him. And, you know, the contract makes sense. He, he'll be gone after this year because there's very little guaranteed money left. But he's on the roster. And so, like you mentioned it, Garrett Wilson's almost certainly an outside wide receiver, too. And so we need to make sure we need to make sure that Elijah Moore is is out there in uh, in two wide receiver sets. OK, we go from Elijah Moore to a first rounder last year. And man. The buzz was off heading into his rookie season. But Hayden, what could Darius Tony put out on the field during his short amount of time? Jaw-dropping, electric, simply sensational. Kadarius Tony just going back and researching and re-watching every single touch and target that he had from week, I think, 6 to 17 last year. This is truly one of the most, one of the most talented wide receivers in the league. And all of you might laugh at me for saying that. I firmly believe it after going back and watching Kadarius Tony last season. And you missed some of the good games. If you started in week six, his best games, there's actually a split that I want to talk about here. First of all, uh, he was 13th in yards per route run versus man coverage last year at 2.7, which is already off the charts. Good. He was also 40th against zone coverage. So he's good at both. But before his ankle injury, which happened in the week six game or week seven game, uh, he had uh, 2.93 yards per out run after it, that dropped from 2.9 down to 1.2. So there were some serious splits and obviously that ankle injury we kept bugging him, but before that ankle injury, and that's what most of these highlight uh, clips are coming from. So elusive after the catch. And it wasn't just like throw him a little screen and get going like, no, like these slants and stuff. These are like intermediate. These are tougher routes. And these are against some decent quarter corners here. We're talking about, uh, Lattimore, the Rams defense right here. He was playing against some good competition. He was just absolutely amazing in that intermediate part of the field and after the catch. I mean, this is legit wide receiver stuff. I even, all of you need to wipe away what you perceive Kadarius Tony to be as some thought a manufactured Ooh. touch player. He simply moves differently in his routes that if the quarterback has time and you are one-on-one -on -one against him, he's going to create separation and he's going to create space. I opened by saying that Kadarius Tony might be one of the most talented wide receivers, pure wide receivers in the league. Hey, I'm going to go into another point by saying Kadarius Tony might be my favorite pick in fantasy football right now. He is wide receiver 49. It's basically an identical ADP to rookies, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Christian Watson. You are banking on those players to look better than this, than what you are seeing right now on the field. You are turning to the mystery box and saying, oh, yeah, I expect those guys to be better than what you're seeing right now and what you saw last season in Kadarius Tony. The only reason why someone this talented is going this late is because seemingly every single offseason, we're going to get awful news and buzz around the situation that Kadarius Tony causes. And I understand it. But with that said, Hayden, that's all baked in to this ADP right now. The ceiling on what you could be getting at wide receiver 49 is immense, is immense with this type of player. Who knows what Olave, who knows what Christian Watson with 
you know, Aaron Rodgers, who knows who Garrett Wilson, we just talked about Elijah Moore, what they can be. I would be stunned if they show as well as Kadarius Tony. But again, it's the other stuff that is forcing this drop of about 10 spots that we've seen in the past couple weeks. But that just makes me want to do it even more. And I think that we can throw away most of the giant stats from last year it was an unwatchable offense. The coaching staff, it's just not just like just pure play design and offensive structure is going to get better. This is also a, a team that's probably going to uh, play with, with more pace and more neutral pass rate. If it's going to look like anything like the bills offense and where the way that Kadarius Tony could win both on the inside and the outside, he might be a better slot receiver, but I do think that he can win on the outside as well. He can be this like target accumulator, like immediately if this offense is going to pass a ton, he was breaking off everybody. Trayvon Diggs, Marshawn Lattimore, he was doing Jaylen it against Ramsey. the Rams. It was nuts, this stretch yeah. of football here. So I do not want to undersell his talent. I'm with you 100%. You are going to get chaos with Kadarius Tony. He might be more susceptible uh, to injury because he's a, a skinny player and he's doing these things after the catch. But man, there could be a stretch this year where he in uh, across eight games, he's a top 15 fantasy receiver. I think that that is within the range of outcomes here. I'm with you. He was special 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 oh. in these clips and it wasn't just all slots stuff to me he was winning all over the field oh it's legit lining him up on the outside or the inside and asking him to win at the top of his routes and then with the ball in his hands he has these subtle turn on the dime moments where two or three players are converging on him instantly he finds the soft spot in there and falls forward for three for three extra yards or is able to escape the converging defenders and reel off an extra seven yards. No one moves like him right now. No one does. Is it fair to you? We've seen Brian Dayball, my buddy, um, have a whole bunch of different offenses in different places, right? Alabama was run heavy. Obviously that's where the talent was. We saw with the bills the last couple of years, how they've kind of changed things. If we look at their wide receiver group though, Hayden, which one is the one who's Stefan Diggs like that you can line up on the outside in one-on-one -on -one situations along the sideline and say, hey, this guy's covering you. Go win. Go create separation. We're going to get you the football. That's not Tony. Galladay. It's not it's Galladay. Not Kenny Galladay. <laughs> now, if we're looking for straight line, vertical producer who can go up and get at the catch point and make some big plays on the field, like Gabriel Davis, who is that? That's yeah. Kenny Galladay. Speed difference, for sure. So if we're just looking at that, and Wandale may be in the slot, Kadarius Tony on the outside as a prime number one pass catcher, that is not, not out of the realm of possibility. So I, I do want to mention this because I I've seen this a lot is like right before the NFL draft when Kadarius Tony uh, was not really talking to the coaching staff, classic Kadarius stuff. There was this like speculation that they were going to trade Kadarius Tony. Number one, Kadarius Tony is way too good to get traded. You never see second year players get traded. That is super rare for that to happen. Um, and I think that the Wandale selection is kind of in that gadget player. This is an offense that they want to be three and four wide receivers more than most teams in the league. We, that's why we have these Isaiah McKenzie uh, uh, type of ceiling games out of, out of nowhere. And we got to keep in mind Sterling Shepard, who plays in the slot, tore his Achilles like on New Year's Eve last year. And he's an older player. They, added, they made sure he had to take a pay cut. I think that Wandale Robinson is Sterling Shepard insurance. I don't even think that it has that much to do with Kadarius Tony. This offense just needs more, more dudes, you know, like how, how are they going to evaluate Daniel Jones? 
get him more dudes. So I don't think that we should be like extrapolating the Wandale Robinson pick on anything like Kadarius Tony. Wandale Robinson's a cool, interesting player, but he is talk about typecast. He is small. He's a slot only player. He's not going to do the special things that Kadarius Tony, at least on paper and on tape, can do. So I think that we're talking about two totally different players here. And the guy that you mentioned, like the Stefan Diggs, that's the ceiling. Like that's okay. that's the ceiling. We're not projecting that, but that is in the range of outcomes here if he can keep his head on straight. And he's showing up to OTAs. He's not going to get traded, all that stuff. You're just rolling the dice that he's going to stay healthy and that this offense is going to be a little more pass heavy than it was previously. Yeah. I totally get and somewhat understand people saying, well, I can't just trust Kadarius Tony. Look what he's done. He didn't wear the right cleats last year, even though he's been playing football for years. He didn't show up for OTAs, all this stuff. Then he showed up like two days after. Anyways, this, if we're just talking about underdog best ball ADP right now, is totally baked in to all of that. And maybe this is giving him too much credit, but I don't think a player this talented is probably going to throw his career away at this, like, Old Again, takes I don't exposed. know him. <laughs> this is I old don't takes know him. <laughs> but more often, we see players figure things out as they mature and get older versus not, you know? And I'm I'm just of the belief that this is the type of talent in this range of where he is going after freaking Sky Moore. Love Sky Moore, but there is no way he looks as individually talented as the 103rd pick right now underdog fantasy of Kadarius Tony. And it, I hated, hated as soon as the Wandale Robinson pick hit on day two, Hayden, where everyone's like, oh, well, they're just done with Kadarius. That's you thinking back to Florida, Kadarius Tony, where he wasn't really running routes, where he was just great with the ball in his hands, thinking back to the highlights of him being a joystick and making people miss. We just outlined so many plays where it was true wide receiver stuff, and he is unreal. He's a legit outside wide receiver in my book that has inside flex and is a nightmare for any cornerback to match up with on an individual basis. Fantasy football is all about upside. You know, your eighth round pick, your ninth round pick is not going to lose you your league. Your eighth or ninth round pick could win you your league. And I think that Kadarius Tony is on that like bold prediction show. Kadarius Tony is a top 20 fantasy receiver. Like you're going to start seeing some of those headlines, I think. Yeah. Again, if you want to go by the off-field stuff or whatever it is that is being reported just where he might be a difficult person to work with or not be completely bought into practice all the time and maybe he and Joe Judge didn't get along, if you want to do that, that's cool. I'm going to go with what I can see on the field and see an electric, different, unique talent and say, hey, that's what I can see and that's what I'm going to know and that's what I'm going to invest into. And I'll let the rest settle itself out. Yep, that's it. And look, if you're saying with these other rookies, Christian Watson and Sky Moore and, oh, they're with Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, well, they have to instantly prove that they are good enough to get on the field and earn that trust and also ballot out with other top pass catchers in their team. We've already seen Tony show how good he is, and he doesn't really have to ballot out with anyone else, in my opinion. Yep, he's about That's it. why. Okay, pivot from Kadarius Tony to a name that I think – I'm not going to say he's being overlooked right now, but he's not among these top names because he's wide receiver 73. And that's with the Los Angeles Chargers. And that's Josh Palmer. Um, here's one fact for you, Hayden. The Chargers did not sign a free agent wide receiver this year when many of us expected them to. They did not draft a wide receiver either after free agency. 
In fact, since taking Mike Williams in the top 10 in 2017, the team has only spent a day one or day two pick on one wide receiver. His name? Josh Palmer. Now, wide receiver threes are always a conversation that we talk about throughout the league, but not every wide receiver three to us is created equal. Like one, we care most if you're on the field in two wide receiver sets, because that means you're going to see playing time throughout. But if you're a wide receiver three for, let's say the chargers or the Rams, that is much different than if you're the wide receiver three for the Chicago bears. Okay. And it's even more different if you're a player like Josh Palmer, who in two games last season, when Keenan Allen missed, he played nearly every single snap in the slot and took over those slot duties, those volume hog looks that Keenan Allen frequently saw. Then when Mike Williams missed, he was an outside wide receiver on almost every single snap and filled in in those two wide receiver sets. We talk about running back handcuffs, running back insurance. Josh Palmer, twist your brain a little bit. He is wide receiver insurance and one of the best passing offenses that we care most about. And that's why I'm in love with his ADP at wide receiver 73. Nailed all of my notes right there. Jalen Guyton signed for uh, $950,000. You know what that means, Josh? He's getting paid less than the first place winner in Best Ball Mini 3, the second place, place winner in Best Ball Mini 3, and the regular season champion as well. So I don't think that Jalen Guyton's going to be playing as much. Guyton will get some reps in, at the expense of Josh Palmer because Guyton's much faster. You're talking about weaknesses in Josh Palmer's game. He doesn't seem like he's going to be a super explosive player, but he has uh, the ability to play a big slot role if Keenan Allen misses, and he can play X receiver uh, when Mike Williams misses time. And even when he is the number three receiver, this offense could be so good that he's going to be yeah. a spiked weak player on occasion anyways. So I think that uh, he's definitely probably a limited player here, but just the fact that he's going to be starting um, attached to Justin Herbert and he has contingent based upside in if either Keenan or Mike Williams misses time and Keenan Allen's missed some time as well. And same thing with Mike Williams. These are not like the most bankable wide receivers anyways. Uh, So I think that he's a lights out pick wide receiver. 73 is way too late. Very easy, easily stacked. Um, on Justin Herbert team. So totally agree. Fluid enough for slot work, big enough for X wide receiver work. And he's probably going to play that Z spot and probably rotate a little bit with Jalen Guyton, which I don't love, but Guyton is paid very, very cheap money. And they actually invested into Josh Palmer. Yeah. They basically split that wide receiver three job in half last year. Um, Jalen Guyton had 612 snaps. Josh Palmer had 400 and. 57. And in fact, he only had three games of over 40 snaps his entire rookie season. It was in that no Keen Allen game. It was in that no Mike Williams game. And then it was that week 18 game against the Las Vegas Raiders when they played 93 snaps and everyone played. Uh, he also had four touchdowns last season. Again, that's more than Rashad Bateman. There were awesome touchdowns too. It was a contest catch against the Patriots, a backside vertical route against the New York Giants. That fourth and 21 that I believe sent that game to overtime against the Raiders and in week 18, um, there are two avenues for this to work. And we've already talked about that first one, which is if Mike Williams misses extended time, if Keenan Allen misses extended time. But the other is if they don't split that wider receiver three job in half and he just gets it. If he just gets 900 snaps next year in that that role because they think he can be vertical where Jalen Guyton's really good. And he can also win underneath too. Like if we get those, if 
that news during preseason and training camp, then we're off to the races. And I could see Josh Palmer, again, wide receiver 73 right now, going into wide receiver 50, wide receiver 55 range. Yeah, he's priced as if he's going to be playing 70% of the Chargers snaps. And there's a chance he's at 99% and one of the, he's going to be number two in targets or number three in targets. So um, easy, easy, easy buy. There's nothing flashy about his game. You're not going to love his tape. Just the fact that he has the size and attached to Justin Herbert makes this ADP make no sense to me. And I think we got Storm Norton the hell up out of there at right tackle. Hopefully, cross your fingers. Have so we that yet? Could, <laughs> that could really help uh, at that spot. Just some names going around Joshua Palmer and just in your brain think if they have the same ceiling as what he does. Will Fuller, Robbie Anderson, KJ Hamler, Marvin Jones, Corey Davis, KJ Osborne, you know? Think a little bit bigger. Josh Palmer again at wide receiver seven. He could be this year KJ KJ Osborne. You know, like that's yep. that's exactly kind of the player he is. Like that a lot. Before we move on, I think we're about halfway done here. Um, if you have never played best ball. We know that you play fantasy football. You're going to love it. Try it once. Don't wait until September or August to draft. Drafts are going on right now. Just download the app, Underdog Fantasy. The link is in the description down below. It's on desktop as well. And whatever you put in for your first deposit, if it's 12, if it's 73, if it's $99, up to 100 bucks, Hayden will match it out of his pocket. Uh, there are puppy drafts going on right now. Those are five bucks. And go play and try to win a $10 million prize pool in Best Ball Mania 3. Or go and get some private drafts and start drafting with your friends. Send out the link to 11 others and uh, go and do that. Again, try Best Ball once. I'm pleading with you. I'm telling you. Because as soon as you do, it's football Pringles. You do more of them. So go mm -hmm. and do that. Make more money than Jalen Guyton this year. <laughs> we know at least three people are. We know at least three people are. And as always, like and subscribe to the show. We appreciate you. Okay, um, so we have gone from four second-year wide receivers, and there's one name that I know we have to talk about, and that maybe no more different start of the first half of the season to the end of it. I'm on Ross St. Brown with the Detroit Lions. Right now, wide receiver 34, an underdog fantasy. Put some context to that just after Drake London before Traylon Burks and Devontae Smith. This one's pretty simple, Hayden. Amon Ross St. Brown is Robert Woods reincarnated. How they used him in the second half of last season with even those inside handoffs coming from a motion with play action to the opposite side, it was Robert Woods and Sean McVay, and it was beautiful. Um, in the opening 11 games, though, last year, under five targets per contest, Averaged four receptions for 32 yards. Easily forgettable. Who would have thought, though, in week 13 upset win over the Minnesota Vikings? 10 catches, 86 yards, including the game-winning score. And after that, we were off to the races. 11 targets per game. Nine receptions. 93 yards and nearly a touchdown per contest, including one carry, one carry in each game. So what the hell happened? Why the change? Well... Again, when the Lions lost 44 to 6, there was nothing creative about the offense. It was all stale. Dan Campbell sat back, and he and Ben Johnson, who is now the offensive coordinator, they said that we need to get Amon Ross St. Brown more involved. They took over the play calling and immediately put him on the field 85% of the time. And what I just outlined is history. 
And there is no reason to think we go back to the first half of last season and that Amon Ross St. Brown is a heavily, heavily featured part of this offense for the rest of his career that he spends in Detroit. He is a physical slot receiver, but he can kind of have some of the vision and all that stuff where you can use him out of the backfield. There was a stretch here where I'm going to pull up the players that he was competing against where it was beyond brutal uh, his target competition. And that's where they had to keep force feeding him the ball here. It's out of the backfield. It's in motion. It's in the slot. He is like Robert Woods because Robert Woods isn't some speed demon out there, but Robert Woods is always in the right spot and he's a tough player and he can win inside and outside. He also can be uh, attached to the line of scrimmage often and be a part of the run game. And that is Mr. Dan Campbell's specialty. So Amon Ross St. Brown has a role in this offense guaranteed the question becomes for fantasy purposes is what happens when this isn't the target competition. When mm. he broke out, these are the players that were playing Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond, Brock Wright, Craig Reynolds, Kaderil Hodge, uh, <laughs> Godwin Iguabuki, uh, Shane Z- Zystra, freaking Jamal Williams, Tom Kennedy. Have you heard of any of these players? I haven't heard of Tom Kennedy before. I'll be honest. This is, Never in my life. This is a ridiculous uh, group of players. His splits just real quick. With TJ Hawkinson, average seven half PPR points. Without 21.2, his targets went from six to 11. With DeAndre Swift, 9.4 half PPR points. Without Swift, that's at at 18, so he doubled it. And his targets went from 6.4 to 11.5. They add DJ Chark. uh, They are going to get Jameson Williams. Probably not early, but in the second half of the season, TJ Hawkinson, Swift will be back. That's where the debate is. He's priced as the wide receiver, 34 uh 71st overall uh there was a time where he was a top five fantasy receiver there was a time where we didn't even know who amon ross st brown uh was so that's the debate i think that he's getting slightly overpriced here because Mm. of the target competition but amon ross st brown is a good player i think he's a good role player i don't think he's a true number one receiver but he could have a robert woods like career here and if something happens to jameson williams there's another setback with uh tg hawkins or something like that you could see another stretch like this think there is a talent gap in terms of being like a outside wide receiver and two wide receiver sets between he and Elijah Moore between him and Kadarius Tony but man he's crafty he's nifty and what we can point back to and this might be a little bit different than what we saw from DeAndre Swift I'm on Ross St. Brown's best games happened when the lines were actually spicy where they were good they were frisky towards the end of last season again it started with that upset win in week 12 they got another win against the Arizona Cardinals he went 11 8 90 and 1 then they got a win against the Green Bay Packers on the final day, 10-8-109 and one. Like, you can't build a passing offense around a slot receiver. We see it all the time, over and over. It really just doesn't last that way. But this is special sauce that you can't either put back in the bottle. This is the first time I've used that term this offseason. Um, and he's good. He's really good. And there's nothing that has changed that will take him back to the same usage or snap count that we saw in the first half of last year. And this is a real case that for rookies and you've outlined this constantly, the post by rookie bump is absolutely real. Just going back and through and all these box scores and game logs, it's absolutely real. You need to segment out when there wasn't playing time. And when there was playing time for these guys, because the first half of last season to me, doesn't matter at all for him because it was a different play caller was a different offense and all that. But I can we expect, again, the same nine catches for 80 yards and a score? No, we can't. But 
at worst, is it like somewhere in between the two? Yes. Like it's never going to revert back to the early part of last season period. And I think that he's physical enough to be a two wide receiver set player. And that's a big distinction. Like some of like the really undersized slot receivers, like talking about like someone like Cole Beasley is not going to be there in two wide receiver sets. Amon Ross St. Brown's a good enough blocker. And that's why he's playing attached to the offensive line. So often they'll actually get him uh, blocking on the backside of some run plays as well. He's going to be a two wide receiver set starter. So he's clearing that bar here. It just comes down to the splits are pretty drastic. I think he is probably going to be like a wide receiver three uh, most weeks. And if Jameson Williams is as good as we think he is, uh, maybe he drops down a little bit later in the season, but he's definitely a good role player. And I think that he's physical enough to be in two wide receiver sets. And that's my baseline for fantasy upside. And I think he at least checks those boxes. Yeah, it's, and I'm trying to even look up who on Detroit is at wide receiver until Jamison Williams gets back because it's Josh Reynolds, as we talked about. It's Quintez Cephas. Um, even Cleef Raymond had a couple games last year, but it was kind of in like a pseudo Amon Ross St. Brown role. Yeah, exactly. A little bit. And this is like really vanilla analysis. But if we look at where DJ Chark is at his best and where Jamison Williams is at their best, it's all down the field stuff. Yep. And so maybe that opens things up a little bit more for Amon Ross. I mean, I, I was legit amazed at how much of a veteran he looked like in all the things that he was doing again it really felt like robert woods and they you outlined why they had to manufacture touches for him those inside gives and play action boot one side then rolling back and he's the guy undercutting and slipping through all the trash in the middle of the field and get the ball in his hands all the leak plays it's good stuff it's just that usc degree you can do whatever you want robert it, it, woods me amon ross st brown and the, to be the, honest like line. this is the offensive type of offensive line that allows you to at least go through the progressions offensively that a coach would put out on a whiteboard and say hey these are our plays you know like that is a strength of this team and they're going to once again live and die by jared golf but at the very least like from a Fantasy production standpoint, Jared Goff is good enough to get us home with with this yep. selection. It's just what do the impacts of DJ Shark if he stays healthy when Jamison Williams gets back? Because those are very different talent types than that he was playing with last year. To me, it's more Hawkinson Swift returning. That's the thing because that's where like you get Got a it. little repetition underneath. DJ Chark is not going to be a nine target per game guy. Neither is Jamison Williams, at least as a rookie. It's to me, it's just like Hawkinson and Swift. Now Jared Goff, typical uh, dink and dunk passer. Now he has three different options to do that too. So we'll meet in the middle. We'll meet in the middle. Um, okay. I think that's all the wide receivers we're going to hit on. Let's now jump to the running back position. And maybe the shocker of last year, Came out of San Francisco with the 49ers, and his name is Eli Mitchell. Hayden, everyone knows. I've seen tweets about it already this summer. Kyle Shanahan and running backs, the apple of his eye changes every single offseason. But we saw it from week one after he most went down, and even in a somewhat banged up and injury-riddled season, when Kyle Shanahan needed to trust a running back, he trusted Eli Mitchell and nothing that they have done this offseason would prevent them, in my opinion, from going back to that. Because what we saw in the field, I thought was a very, very talented player, despite being a six round selection. So last year, he was equivalent to 32nd in better and best ball points per game. He's currently being drafted 70th overall. So some of this like Shanahan weirdness gets is already priced in. But I do think that there's something that Elijah Mitchell does that nobody else on the 49ers roster 
is capable of doing uh, outside of Debo Samuel, of course. Uh, and that is running on the perimeter. Uh, Elijah Mitchell was fifth in rushing yards that weren't uh, not up the middle. And he was first in yards from pitches and stretches. And I'm looking at this, this highlight tape. I've already seen a couple plays where it's pitches and stretch plays. And that is just getting him uh, to the edge with speed. And that is by far his best ability here. He's not super physical. He can uh, finish runs, uh, but he has great feet and he has decent vision. And that's only going to get better in this offense. Kyle Shanahan, it's the Raheem Mostert role, a little bit more on steroids here. Uh, and that's where Trey Sermon was not able to get outside. I don't think this rookie uh, from LSU, that's not his skill set ever. Eli Mitchell, he has the role, and it's get him to the outside and let him cook. I'm not really worried about the other competition. His role, to me, is very safe. Yeah, I'm with you, but he's not being drafted as if his role is safe. And that's kind of the dichotomy that we're in, along again with the history of, of Kyle Shanahan. And Matt Friedman pointed this out. And I don't know how much I buy it, to be honest with you, but I'm just going to read the tweet, okay? Kyle Shanahan lead back his last five seasons. Carlos Hyde, Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Elijah Mitchell. Shanahan has a wandering eye, and he just drafted a back with a top 100 pick. Eli Mitchell must be avoided at ADP. Now, I think if you don't just look at who finishes the leader in rushing yards, but looked at the little details of each of the last few years, you'd see that all these backs in the Shanahan system get injured. All of them do. And he even mentioned it in his post-draft press conference that the reason that they took Ty Davis Price, just like five selections in the same area of the draft where they took Trey Sermon, is because they've had to go to their three, third, fourth, fifth back in the first like two to three weeks of the season in each of the past few years. And just having bodies there. I would be shocked, though, if Trey Sermon shows up and, and lights it up, if Ty Davis Price shows up and lights it up to the degree that Eli Mitchell did because he hits the hole that is supposed to be there with intensity, with ferocity, with aggression, has the speed on the edge and these outside runs to pick up chunk big plays, and also creates in his own. And again, I know he's the latest drafted of all these types, but I'm firmly in the camp of if he is healthy entering the year, he will be relied upon as the trusted player, and then the rest from there is completely and wholly unpredictable. Yeah, he will be the special sauce outside rusher, the home run threat. And then there'll be a, a battle between Trey Sermon and uh, this rookie uh, for maybe a little bit of short yardage stuff off the middle. The other thing we have to talk about is Debo Samuel. I'm waiting for the reports on what Debo Samuel is asking for. If Debo Samuel says, look, dude, I don't want to play running back. That's not good okay. for my career. That could be great news for Elijah Mitchell because Elijah Mitchell was this productive. I'm going back 32nd in points per game. Uh, overall last year that was with Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell did not play passing downs that was always Kyle use check uh late in the season it was still the same so maybe Elijah Mitchell gets a little bit more uh care or a little more uh targets just if he can uh get a little bit better on passing downs they can trust him a little bit but to me Trey Sermon's not a threat to go on the outside Neither is this rookie. If Debo Samuel wants to play out actual wide receiver to keep his career on pace for a long career, which he should be asking for, I think that Elijah Mitchell's a totally fine pick. And he's kind of in this like RB dead zone historically where like workloads are kind of up in the air that we want to be avoiding these players. But on underdog, every single running back in this range are being drafted around later than they were 
last season. And we saw Elijah Mitchell last year be a top 12 uh, rusher on some weeks. He was definitely a top 20 fantasy running back for a long stretch of the season. So to me, I think that he is that RB dead zone target. Uh, He's going after Brees Hall and Travis Etienne. That next tier, I'm all in. Yep, going after Cam Akers, going after Josh Jacobs is the name I really wanted to say there. Uh, Give me Mitchell. Give me Mitchell of that group. Just before Clyde Edwards, Layer, Miles Sanders, I think you can have maybe similar uh, reasons for drafting them as well. Yeah, I mean, these first few plays are what we're going to see a bunch this year. It's with Trey Lance. You know, especially in the gun, you can see Trey Lance holding that edge defender and allowing Eli Mitchell to get around it. Or it's, you know, not just those edge runs. That play right there. But Trey Lance holding the edge defender and then allowing trade, uh, allowing Eli to get up the field in the middle. Like, it's going to be fun to watch. And again, I understand if the history that you want to focus on is, it's unpredictable, this backfield. But it's so clear to me that he's he's the best back and most talented of that group. And I don't know if there's a bait to that. Is there is there something about Shanahan's offense where the running backs get more injured or is that just variance? Like, like is there a specific play that you're looking at? Small sample, like, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like maybe Raheem Mostert <laughs> is just uh has like some soft tissue uh stuff and he's running too fast for his own good. Maybe that's what yeah. the actual issue is and it wasn't that uh just a little bit of variance. Okay, so we go from the 49ers backfield, some call that unpredictable, to the New England Patriots backfield. It's Ramondre Stevenson's time. Like clockwork this time of year, you will undoubtedly hear that it is impossible to predict how the Patriots will use their running backs, which means people are going to stay away, Hayden. But last year at this time, we proved that wasn't true. We highlighted Damian Harris at every single possible turn in every single show from yours truly. He was second in rushing TDs in the league and was a key piece, a key piece into someone like you winning $1 million on underdog fantasy last season. While we predicted that with Damon Harris, and I think a major part of that was having an understanding of what and who the Patriots wanted to be offensively last year. I have pivoted all the way over to where Ramondre Stevenson is going to be this year, and namely where he's going in drafts at running back 38. This is a player who literally had two touches and one fumble in the opening five weeks of last season. Then we fast forward to week nine to week 17. Average 14 carries for 66 yards, nearly five carries a pop and a catch per game. That included games of 19 carries, 24 carries. That equaled 107 yards, two touchdowns in that first performance and 100 yards and two touchdowns in that second performance. Like when Damian Harris went down with that hamstring injury in the final stretch of the year, Ramondre Stevenson averaged more touches per game. Now, Damian, if we can kind of read between the tea leaves, almost certainly this is going to be his last year in New England. Like, that's at least if we fast forward a year from now, I expect to happen because of the contract year. But he and Ramondre Stevenson are like very different runners with the ball, too. Ramondre not only can do some of that stuff between the tackles, but his ability to be a big back with balance, nimble footwork and the fluidity, not just in the running game on the edge and creating in his own, but also in the passing game, to me offers a big play skill set that doesn't necessarily need the perfect blocking like Damian Harris did last year. And it's why at his price, 
I really, really love Ramondre and even the ceiling of what he could be if he had the full workload, period. ESPN ran a column just talking about kind of like breakout sleeper candidates on each offense. And uh, ESPN's Mike Reese, who, I mean, Mike Reese talk about like hierarchy of uh, beat reporters in the NFL is at the top of that list. He wrote, while the Patriots are set up for a rotation once again, which is the key part, the view here is that Ramondre Stevenson has a shot to make a run at Damian Harris for the RB1 spot. So it's at least within the range of outcomes. Last year, uh, Ramondre Stevenson was 22nd out of 79 running backs and yards after contact, clearly a very physical rusher. Uh, what's more interesting, though, for a back his size, he was 10th out of 79 running backs and missed tackles forced per carry. Those two stats are pretty damn predictive here. What those two stats don't tell you, though, He's still chaos. Like, you know, like that's kind of why he fell in the in the draft. He, Damian Harris is the anti-Ramondre Stevenson. Damian Harris is not going to beat you with too much wiggle. He's not going to break off as many explosive plays as Ramondre Stevenson. He's going to hit that hole with a little more clarity and fall forward a little bit more. Um, Ramondre Stevenson's the exact opposite. A little bit of chaos, some fumbles, a couple drop passes. But man, you're going to put some of these highlights up here in a second. And we're talking special, special mobility for a player his size. So I think it's going to be total opposites here. The big wild card for fantasy is James White healthy. Who's playing on passing downs now that uh, Brandon Bolden's out of there? Their fullback, Jacob Johnson, he's out of there. What does that mean uh, for this offense here? Are they going to pass a little bit more? There's some weirdness going on with this entire offense. But Ramondre Stevenson on like a big play ability scale is right at the top of the list. I'm totally with you. Some special, special movements uh, from some of these highlights. Electric. And I don't have highlights. I have one. And this That's all you need <laughs> really shows, showcases exactly how he is different than anyone else in this roster. Let me rewind. A defensive back with a free lane in his face as soon as he touches the football. This is a what? 230 plus pound back. Immediately shifts to the left, moves off his front shade and is able to stay up and went on contact. Even getting back to the line of scrimmage here is beautiful when you see that Grady Jarrett on the interior has already dominated his opponent and is also going to track him down. So Ramondre beats his first guy as soon as he gets the ball. That jump cut is unreal. Already sets up the entire defensive line and linebacker group shifting to, you know, make sense of his movement to the left side and creates this huge alley for himself on the right side to continue upfield and creates, and he's not done drifts to the edge. I mean, not many backs at 220 plus who even knows how big Ramondre Stevenson is at this point. Give me the over and create big plays like this, a big back with balance. It gets us out of that. Oh, can this 195 pound back stay up and maintain it for the entire season? 100% Ramondre can do it. And it's not just this one play, Hayden. There are some, when you dig a bit deeper, incredible stats that Ramondre was able to produce in his limited opportunities. When you look at just big plays, that's 10-plus yard runs and 20-plus yard catches. Only three players had over 15% of their touches equal that mark. Nick Chubb was number one, Rashad Penny was the other, and then Ramondre Stevenson was the third. 22 big plays on 147 touches. Now, Damian Harris wasn't that much lower. He was at like 11%. But I think that highlights just how good the blocking is, right? When the alley is there getting upfield and 
making a big play out of that because as we know damien doesn't do really anything love you damien but we're just being honest here about, he's pretty you know, he's still pretty good i want to understand damien he's he's, he's good. good but then on top of that and an area where now brendan bolden is gone james white whenever you read mike reese or anyone out there phil perry it just seems there is a preface every single time james white's name is mentioned that oh he might not even be ready like he this might be it for him there are just questions that Yards after catch per reception, James Conner last year, 10.5, Jonathan Taylor at 10.1, Ramondre Stevenson at 10.1. All we need is opportunities. And just going back to one final note, the biggest difference last year between the two backs, because they were all a bit chaos, to be honest with you. Like, Damian had some massive fumbling problems. He gave away that Miami Dolphins game in the first week, and Ramondre and Passpro, brutal, giving the ball. Like, it, it's all over the place a bit for both of them. The biggest difference between the two was carries inside the 10-yard line, okay? Because I believe Damian Harris had 30 carries inside the 10, and that went for 11 touchdowns. And again, it's why he was you know, second in the NFL in rushing touchdowns. Ramondre only had 11 carries inside the 10, and he got five touchdowns out of those. So like, who was the one that's going to get those inside the 10, inside the five-yard? And it's reliability. And we'd assume it could be Damian Harris, but man, if he either misses time or they just shift their focus on over to Ramondre. That ceiling is immense. I can say like maybe this year's James Conner, you can sell your story. That could be Ramondre Stevenson, like a reasonable offense. And he's got the like three down ability. If everything kind of clears. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you. I am totally fine with where he's going at ADP. I think he'll still be the one B, but I'm not writing it off that he could be the one a here. And we'll just follow uh, the, the James white stuff. Uh, and then we'll also follow what this offense is looking like. Who's calling plays? I hope it's Bill Belichick. That's at least interesting. But I think they're probably going to pass the ball a little bit more than they did last year. They just have more weapons this time around. Mac Jones in the second season here. They get rid of the fullback. There's all of a sudden some signals that this offense might pass the ball a little bit, which wouldn't be great for Reminder Stevenson. But he can catch the ball out of the backfield and make plays. So that's like... Real your, routes, all of it. He can beautiful. do it. Little chaos, but you're you're signing up for he's kind of like the Josh Allen of of, of running backs here, where you're like um, I can see it. Couple things here, and I absolutely do. In the past, and this was a discussion we had last year. Buy into Bill doesn't really want to play rookies along his offense, and especially at skill position groups. Ramondre played a lot for a rookie running back. Like I wouldn't expect Pierre Strong or Kevin Harris to see nearly the amount of time that Ramondre saw last season, and it just got to a point when obviously Brandon Bolden was a good special teamer that they trusted and could play in those key areas. But now with him gone and questions about James white, I could see it being a two person, a two person backfield. And again, Ramondre at running back 38, just behind Melvin Gordon, Rashad Penny, just ahead of Damian Pierce and Ronald Jones. Ooh, sweet spot for me. Yep. Real sweet spot for me. Okay. I think we have one more. Yep. One more. We'll close out. With Philadelphia Eagles running the opposite. back. Kenny Gainwell. Very much the opposite. Now, there were weeks where Kenny Gainwell went out there on the field and looked electric. And it while we have outlined how the Eagles shifted their offense and their mentality from like the first six weeks to you know the final 10 weeks of last year, it was unpredictable of which running back is gonna get work where. Like at times you saw Kenny Gainwell inside the 20s. As a short yardage player, there are other times in like pony personnel or passing work that he was really used in the way that we thought he could be in like an Austin Eckler, Naeem Hines situation. 
I have no idea how to project Kenny Gainwell heading into his second year. What say you, Hayden? He's a space back. I think he's a totally fine space back, but it's just hard for five net five nine two hundred pound running backs to have much of a ceiling. And I think it goes beyond that a little bit. Just the structure of this offense uh, this year, they should be a little bit more passive because they have AJ Brown and Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard. Uh, I don't think that Kenny Gainwell is going to be uh, scripted up too many plays when you have AJ Brown to throw the ball to uh, nowadays. And going back to just the inside the five yard line stats that you were talking about, Jalen hurts led this team and in inside the five yard, uh, five yard line carries at 13. Then it was Boston Scott who just resigned yep. uh, for $2 million with 10. Then it was Jordan Howard uh, who is still a free agent. They can easily bring him back in at six. Then it was Miles Sanders at five and then Kenny Gainwell had two. So you, you're basically selling the story is how does Kenny Gainwell get into your fantasy lineup? It would be shocking if he was the goal line back. He's never has been the goal line back. It would be the easier path. Is he going to be on the field on third downs? And how many of these times are these games? Are the Eagles actually going to be passing enough where he's going to be viable? I don't know. I think Kenny Gainwell is going to be a better real life player than fantasy player just because the way that he's used, the way that this offense is going to flow. I don't think there's going to be as many passes to the running back position because they have A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard. Now, there's no reason to throw the ball to Kenny Gainwell anymore in these uh um, these blowout losses, but I do want to mention Boston Scott was playing ahead of Gainwell for most of the season, but in the playoff games against Tampa Bay, when they were getting absolutely shredded, he was actually playing ahead of Boston Scott that game. So I think that he is going to open up the season ahead of Boston Scott. We could not say that last year. So I understand some optimism, but I think the optimism is going to come in for Eagles fans and not necessarily fantasy football fans. Yeah. I think you can be really creative with them too, even in two back sets and being, different with your personnel groupings and creating mismatches and all that. I'm just not sure how consistent or projected consistent we can get with him. Like me, to me, the big debate when drafting Kenny Gainwell, who's going as running back 49 right now is that he's being drafted around all these running back insurance types. Um, I think Khalil Herbert at running back 52 is the perfect example of this. We know if David Montgomery goes down, for weeks and weeks and weeks, Khalil Herbert's going to get 15 to 22 touches per game. And I don't know if there is an avenue, no matter what, if Miles Sanders goes down, if Boston Scott goes down, if the corpse of Jordan Howard goes down, whoever, um, that Kenny Gainwell is going to get, you know, 22 touches in a ball game, 17 touches in a ball game. You know, so it's more, are you hoping for the, oh, he's going to get two touches in a contest or he's going to get four catches for 40 yards and that's it versus the huge, massive ceiling that we can get. And while they might give you zero some weeks or three points some weeks that we can get of the Khalil Herberts, maybe even of the Gus Edwards, maybe even of the Ty Davis prices or the James Robinsons or the Tyler Algiers, you know, and that's just who he's been being drafted around. I'd much rather take the Khalil Herberts for best ball. Big and same. have 18, you know, picks on my roster. Don't have waivers. Don't have trades. Don't need to get rid of a running back insurance to have a starter on my weekly basis. And, and that's really how I'm viewing Kenny Gainwell heading into 2022. And on underdogfantasy.com promo code, the show, we're half PPR over here. You know, like you can build a little bit more of an upside case than a zero RB build when you have full PPR and you don't know about my settings. Sure. Like, I'm in this weird dynasty league, full PPR. Sure, Kenny Gainwell makes sense there. It makes a lot less sense in half PPR best ball. 
uh, in my opinion. But I think I think it's a totally fine space back. Like he yeah. has enough juice out there, uh, can make a couple guys miss twenty third out of seventy nine running backs and miss tackles forced per carry. But most of those carries are pitches and sweeps, where it's a little easier to miss a tackle because there's only one on ones instead of threes, uh, three on threes out there. So I think it's a totally fine player, but just I'm pretty much out on underdog. Speaking of Khalil Herbert, wish we could talk about him. I'm sure we will in a future episode. Want to shout out Nico Collins. I'm sure we'll talk about him in a future video. And uh, the name I keep bringing up, Chris Evans, maybe even pops up in our running back ranking show. But again, the running back insurance types, if you get the ones right who will go on to have big weeks in 15 through 18, they are wallet changers. They are bank account changers. As we saw last year with Rashad Penny, uh, Darrell Williams, a few others and Chris Evans with the Cincinnati Bengals 100% might be one of those names. And Hayden, I'm sure he's going to be a name that pops up for us in preseason and training camp shows because a lot of people surrounding the Cincinnati Bengals organization right now, Joe Goodberry follows it. Beat writers are all saying it might be Chris Evans time as a second player in that backfield. And if that's the case, give me all of it. And he's going undrafted in many of your leagues right now. We're due for a sleeper show probably after our ranking shows the next couple of weeks. Uh, one last quick name. We don't have, we didn't bring up his stats or anything. Rondale Moore. I think it's a bigger discussion about uh, Marquise Brown. I think the Rondale Moore synopsis basically is he wasn't even a slot receiver last year. He was a gadget player. Yep. And Marquise Brown is best as a vertical slot player, just like how Christian Kirk was. If Marquise Brown is playing the slot, where is Rondale Moore playing? And that's kind of the thing. And then even if Rondo Moore was a locked in three wide receiver set player, which I'm I'm expecting that to be the case, he's probably going to sub out a little bit. How they use him is not great for this format. Talking about underdog where he's the wide receiver 56. It is hard to be a slot player when you're competing against DeAndre, Marquise Brown, Zach Ertz, and James Conner. Every single time that you're running a route, those players are also running a route. And when you're targeted, it's three yards down the field and you're not playing in two wide receiver sets in the red zone. It's just not a profile that I typically like here. And that's even if Rondell Moore is a really good player in his own right, which I'm not ruling out. I'm not sure if we learned yes or no based off of his rookie snaps. Just hard. Like the archetype of player here is about as bad as it gets for fantasy. Yeah, he literally had an intended air yards per attempt of 3.6 less than the second lowest in the league. 1.1 wow. was how far he was getting down the field compared to Braxton Berrios at 4.7 yards. I mean, he didn't play wide receiver last year. Like he, he was no. not running routes. It was manufactured touch stuff just beyond the line of scrimmage or just after. It. And then when he did get to go down the field, it was broken snaps. Uh, there was that one, I think it was against the Minnesota Vikings or someone that they did. Um, we are going to learn so much about Rondale in that first week of training camp. If we see, team associated writers or beat writers saying, oh yeah, he's out there and Marquise Brown is running as the outside wide receiver. Boom. Let's get excited. I have to see it to believe it first. And then you also have, well, his role from game one to game six might be better, might be different than it is from game seven and on when DeAndre Hopkins comes back. But if, if their goal is to put players where they succeed, I'm totally with you. Marquise Brown and Christian Kirk probably occupied the same exact area. DeAndre Hopkins as an outside wide receiver. And then where does that leave you with, with Rondo? But maybe we see something different. I'm not going to write it off yet because he's a fun player, but we just, this isn't like legit NFL player usage that we have seen or something that should be relevant to us. He could just be one of those better real life than fantasy players, which he can totally be a really special player. I got a craziest idea is turn him into Chase Edmonds. That would be my craziest idea. That is pretty crazy. 
at like 170 pounds as a running back in the backfield. Couple couple snaps. Okay. I think that's going to do it. No shock to all of you. This went longer than expected. Uh, These are eight of our favorite names. Not predicting every single one for a breakout, but I think if you read between the lines, you can pick out the ones that we are suggesting you should go and draft. I mean, we just flatly told you which ones you should go and draft. Kadarius. Don't. I mean, not just for you, Kadarius. Do it for me, all right? Screw it on straight. Focus. Get some little pads to put in your heel so you don't get blisters when in a training camp this year. Because, man, oh, man, you're good. You're good at football. Okay. Hayden has a ton of stuff. Rankings. Columns. Over on Underdog Network. That link is down in the description down below. And we'll be back starting next week with some ranking shows as well. Position by position. Go and check out the rest of the shows on the YouTube channel. Subscribe on the podcast feed. And we all appreciate you. Okay. For Hayden, I'm Josh. Promo code the show. Don't wait. Draft some best ball today and have some fun. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. <laughs>